Welcome to the Mwango Capital Podcast. At Mwango Capital, we aggregate uh, key information on African capital markets through Twitter, Telegram, and our weekly newsletter called The Baobab. We also hold weekly discussions every Friday on topical issues on African capital markets, and we also engage in analysis and research and training. We look forward to another engaging conversation on our Twitter spaces. Uh, So join us there every Friday so that we can keep having quality conversations on African capital markets. Without further ado, welcome to today's conversation. Hello and welcome to our Twitter space this week. Uh, we are privileged to host a representative from Standard Chartered Kenya, Paul Njoki. I will be discussing about wealth management. So, Paul, we can start by you telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Thank you very much, Alec, for having me. Good evening, everyone. Maybe good morning, depending on where you are joining us from. So my name is Paul Njoki and I head wealth management for Standard Chartered Bank Kenya. And I also cover Uganda and Tanzania, but most of the business being in Kenya. I'm a father of four, two boys and uh, two girls, married. I like sports, do a little bit of cycling, but I'm passionate about golf. And that's about it. Tell us a little bit about where you work day to day, how that looks like. Okay, so a standard chartered bank, international bank in many countries, over 60 countries, mostly Asia, Middle East and Africa. I'm in the Kenya office, for those who know Nairobi, Westlands, Chiromo. But recently, I guess since COVID hit, I came from home. So basically my day generally is around speaking with clients. So I do a lot of clients engagement. Like today, I have done three engagements with clients. Part of the day is basically management, speaking with teams and, and managing performance. I also involved to a good extent in developing products, but I got a team, a very able team that works to develop the product. I'm always handy to guide them. But because I'm growing older, I like the younger people to, to take a lead on product development and bring uh, fresh ideas. Yeah, I, I think by basically my day is mostly engagements, stakeholder management and managing performance. Yeah. What does a client engagement mean in the wealth management space? Who are your clients? What's their profile mostly? Who are you dealing with day to day? Okay. Yeah. So in wealth management, maybe I should just give a little bit of what that means. Because sometimes when you say wealth management, people would think uh, you're talking about ultra, you know, high net worth clients, but it's money not managed. <laughs> money is everywhere, but everybody actually is managed, managed and everybody is our client. Essentially, our, our wealth management outfit really look at clients from as low as uh, 50,000 of salary. Anybody who has about 50,000 can actually invest because our ticket sizes, believe me or not, start as low as $100. $100 is about 10,000, 11,000 shillings. So we look at our clients from that. And of course, we, we have clients who are millionaires, of course. But what really I, I do when it comes to client engagement, it could be an event like this one. So we do a lot of webinars. So I present in a lot of webinars, you know, speaking to a group of, so it could be a different demographics. Sometimes it's young people. Sometimes it's uh, people looking to retire. Some people in employment. Sometimes it's, it's, it's specific companies or like that but also do one-on-one engagement with clients. Like today I was meeting one client and really we are looking at, at, at his portfolio. He's, he's clearly he's, he's worth uh, a couple of millions, but it's as, as wide as that. But you know, look here, I meet all, all levels of clients because I believe wealth management is for all of us. And I also encourage my team to actually do the same. 
Do you then allocate more money to the people or do you find the clients with more money more demanding? That's a great question. And I think that has been one of the struggles within the wealth management space traditionally. And one of the things that have happened since COVID is a couple of things have been fast tracked, you know, and one of them has been hybrid advice, which is the new terminology within wealth management, which essentially means that historically we used to only, or the wealth management used to be only for the rich people. So because you had to meet them physically, you had to obviously pay for the transportation, you had to make, you know, get the right office and furniture and everything. It had to make sense from a cost perspective. But now with, with digital, I mean, look, we're having an engagement now and people are across the globe. So really today, it's very easy to engage with any client, regardless of where they are, and give them the attention that they actually so deserves. So t- today we are looking at that and really I look forward to engagement where I'm speaking especially to younger, younger people because there are a couple of things that uh, I know now I wish I knew a little bit about money and about how to invest it. Clearly, if I had known that a little bit earlier, I would be worth, you know, probably twice as I am. So I'm really keen to spend enough time, uh, especially talking to, 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 younger, to, to younger investors. But granted, yes, obviously people with money who've made it obviously are more demanding and, 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 you know, we also have to accord them the due respect. But really, we work very hard using the digital channels that we have now to engage far and wide, that we think that's where we, our business will be created. It will be created in the space where young people, young investors are coming in and we are growing with them over the next space of 20 years and, and turning them to be millionaires, which certainly we believe we can be able to do that. I think uh, we'll try to dig a little deeper maybe with the kind of things that you know now, which you wish you had known before and the characteristics you've seen within the people who have made a little bit more money. Are you seeing things like discipline? Because that's something that I've seen, like setting aside every month a specific amount of money, no matter what you're going through, so that you can be able to save and invest. So if you can give us a few pointers in terms of the things you wish you had known then that you know now, having dealt in the work management space in a while. Thank you, Eric. And maybe I'll say the mistakes I have made and then some of the things I've learned late. Just, there's no mistake, but just that the information was not there. So in terms of the mistakes is that when I got my first job, which was at an audit farm in Kenya, right from campus. And then by the way, I, I studied engineering, but I studied at an audit farm. So that, that's already, well, that was not a mistake for sure. That was a, a good one. But I remember the first few months after I got some paycheck, the first thing I went for was a car and that was a mistake. I should not have gone for a car because immediately I invited liability in my life. Of course, I was cool and, and everything, but I, I should have delayed that decision. So that's number one. The second thing, the other mistake I did is uh, I immediately got to uh, a group with uh, a couple, five guys who we started together and we started a small business and we bought, and we bought a, a public transport and, uh, vehicle. In Kenya, they call them Matatu. And, and I can tell you that was a complete loss of investment because at the end of it, I didn't know even where a small spare part of that vehicle had actually headed out. Okay. So that was the other mistake that I realized that, you know what, there are some just industries you should never try to get there unless you are in that industry yourself and you understand the ropes. Then, and, and, and of course, I repeated that mistake by also starting a, an IT company. Can you? In, in summary, the first mistake I did was actually to you know, I said to, to get into liabilities by, by buying a car too early in life. Secondly, it was to get into businesses which I didn't understand or which I thought I could, I could operate remotely. And I realized that was a big mistake. Every business require, you know, you are hundred percent attention. Otherwise you'll make wealth for other people. And then the other things I, I delayed to learn was, uh, the power of saving. 
I, I only realized maybe when I was above 30 that I needed to constant amount of money aside. And I think that's when I got my first, or I was about to get my first child. So I, I started becoming very conscious about ensuring that I have some money, you know, I should say. So obviously before, you know, the money, I was just spending it with different things. But having said that, I think the key learnings that I, that I think we should all, and I'm not saying that you go there and you become a miser, you cannot even spend some little money on yourself, but really is to have the discipline of paying yourself fast. And that is very important. Paying yourself fast. And how do you pay yourself fast? If you get 100,000 of salary, you have to say 30% of that money will go out of your paycheck into a savings place that you cannot tie. And you have to make that decision. Of course, if you earn 50, then 30% of that, you would, you would calculate fast. Yeah. If you earn 500, then you would say 30% of that should go to a place where you cannot touch. And if you do that religiously, and that money you put it to anything that earns you above the inflation rate of where you live. Say, for example, Kenya inflation rate is about uh, 5 6%. So if you invest in anything that's above 6%, that could be government bonds at 10% now, you know, or, or any of the savings that can give you anything above 6%, even if it's 7%, 8%, you put that money there, whether you like it or not, if you are 20 by the time you are 40, if you are 30 by the time you are 50, you'll be a dollar millionaire. Whether you like it or not, you'll actually become a dollar millionaire. And that one you can calculate. It's, it's a basic a power of compounding. And, and, and that is the, the one thing I can tell you for a fact. The second thing that you should always do, and I should have done earlier, is to, to, to realize that I need to protect some few things in my life so that I can get the courage to venture in investing. And protecting means that you have a piece of small life insurance because the younger you are, the cheaper the life insurance is on you. It's so cheap when you are young. When you grow older and you try to go to get a small life insurance, the amount they quote you are like, really? Seriously? Like, are you selling me some piece of ivory or something? Okay. But if you are young, it becomes very cheap. And then that starts getting out of your paycheck or whatever income that you get and you forget it. I got one example from a manager who, he was actually my manager when I was working overseas. And he told me that the best advice he got from his dad, he was a Canadian guy. He told me that the best advice he got from his dad is to buy a life insurance every year based on the amount of money, based on half of the amount of money he got as a salary increase. So if he was earning, you know, a $1,000, so to speak, and he got $500 increase in the next year, he took $250 and put straight into a life insurance plan, which would mature in 20 years or, or that, like a, that, that kind of thing. So that meant when he was about 40, and that's the time his kids were starting to get into, co into college education, 45 there, every year something was maturing from his life insurance. And he told me that he educated his two daughters through college using the proceeds that was coming from that. And, and when they were done doing their college education, then he bought himself a very nice house in a very nice island. And, and that was just life insurance. He wasn't even going to the complicated investing. I don't know if I was looking for return here. It was basic life insurance. And he used that tool and, and managed his wealth throughout his life. And I'm not saying everybody should do it that way. Of course, there are better ways of getting better returns, not putting everything on insurance or, or being that conservative. But you should at least have a piece of that. Okay. Now, the other bit which... It's not a mistake, actually. I, I actually think it's something I did, which is good. Is I actually got into property investing. And of course, it was through influence from friends. 
And also the fact that I was, I lived abroad for a period of time. And at that time, you know, the only thing I could send money and purchase, you know, like almost like pack it away was a piece of land. Of course, I did some fantastic investment in some spaces and I and, and, and have gotten huge return out of it. But in some spaces, I, I actually wonder why I ever did that. You know, there, there are some pieces of property. I don't know ever what I'll do with it. Maybe I'll figure out at some point. But that's not necessarily a mistake, but also if you're going to have to balance, okay? And the balance is that you look at some real assets at the same like you look at financial assets. And, and really, for me, that's where I come in. Uh, that's where we come in as, as Standard Chartered to offer you that ability to put your money aside, but also not just put it to lie idle, to actually invest it. And not just to invest it, but to invest something interesting that you're passionate about. You know, like young people now are passionate about technology. They are passionate about, you know, environment and investing in social responsibility, social responsible endeavors. And that's what we offer. You know, we offer technology investing, you know, straight up. We can do that off our standard shattered uh, mobile app. We can get you into environmental, clean energy type of investing. Again, straight from our mobile app. And basically, we, you can, we can help you invest anywhere across the group. You know, be it in the U.S., be it in, the, in Europe, be it in China, be it in Kenya itself and other African countries. So, so yeah, Eric, I think in a nutshell, that's it. I think there's a couple of things to pick there, but I'll be looking forward if there's any specific areas that you'd like me to spend a little bit more time on. I can do that. Yeah. Just before we started the talk, we had a small conversation. You told me something about Bermuda. Tell me a little bit, maybe a family sketch of your career so far. Just tell me a little bit how you started in engineering and what moved you from place to place. Oh, thank you. I knew you talk about the Bermuda Triangle, and I know most people ask me about that. Is it for real there? Is there a triangle? Certainly, when I lived there for eight years, I didn't see any triangle. The one you, I can draw on, on my piece of paper, but the myth is there. So we can engage more on that, yeah, on the myths in a different forum. But today, actually, so I started, I started engineering, electrical engineering, University of Nairobi, because, you know, quite interesting and tough. So I didn't have a lot of fun in college, like maybe most of us uh, did. I think in terms of having fun, it used to only last the first two weeks after, after opening. And then after that, you just get yourself buried into books and all that to just make, make, through, make through the exams and, and everything. But uh, after that, I momentarily worked for a small power company, but I lasted only one month and, and I got recruited to KPMG as an audit firm. And, and I think it was just a case of where, you know, you go, you, you fill in interviews, like that, like that, you try here, you try there and, oh, voila, somebody's calling you for a further engagement and you're like, okay, why not? So I ended up in audit. I didn't know how to do debit and credit. So I, I, I remember the first day at work was very interesting because all the guys knew they came from, you know, a commerce background, accounting background. So they understood they were speaking this language I could not understand. And that's the first time I actually realized, wow, after all the, the learning I've done, actually, I'm still dumb. Like I don't know stuff. And I got myself into a journey of learning, which for me has paid off the, the biggest dividend because I started studying accounting then. I would continue studying to get an accounting degree. And then later on, when I left uh, Kenya and went to Bermuda through the audit, so I went to Deloitte and Touche in, in Bermuda, I started studying CFA. And, and that whole thing of just studying just got into me. I, I pretty practically did not, for the first 10 years of my working uh, life, I practically did not have any break of more than three months when I was not studying anything. And I've studied a lot of stuff. Some of it, of course, sat exams and, of course, got a qualification. But other stuff, really, I just studied just to, so that I know, okay? 
And really over that period of time, uh, I realized I had learned a lot. So, you know, now I knew later that I actually had learned a lot during that period of time. Just the endeavor to just keep learning. So Bermuda, uh, I worked there. Interestingly, I got an opportunity to work for HSBC Bank. It was a kind of very interesting opportunity because I went to fill in a position where somebody had left to go for maternity leave as a secondee. So at that point, at that time, you know, my employer used to also do second stuff to outside there and they would get paid for it. And the interesting thing is that life would, would say, would have it, is that when this lady got the baby, I think she was so amazed uh, that she decided she's not coming back to work. She said, okay, I'm going to be a full-time mom and, and voila, an opportunity was born for me. So I joined, I joined banking, HSBC, worked there in finance. So I did a lot of finance, tough accounting. Then I would go on to do more complicated accounting in a specialized area called product control. So those people in banking and treasury would know product control. And then ultimately I ended up doing, performing a very similar role within HSBC at uh, Treasury Finance because I was, I was the head of global markets and, and uh, global banking and markets finance and, and really got a glimpse of what really, how money is made. This was the time when the financial crisis happened, 2008, 2009, and I was at that place. And uh, we had a big book of investment, about $8 billion, And I just saw how people make money overnight. You know, we just make money somehow. <laughs> and really I said, wow, this thing called, uh, you know, investing and all that can actually make people rich, you know, and really got my interest there. So I would then, interestingly, want to come back to Kenya. Mostly it was due to family, but I, I really enjoyed having come back to Kenya. And then I would join, I would join, uh, first of all, I joined the finance team in Kenya, come on, almost did, you know, basic, you know, kind of accounting and, 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 money and, and financial management. But then 2017, you know, really was asked by the bank to come and really set up this uh, wealth management uh, space, which we have since been working on. And we call ourselves a fintech within the bank because we, we do a lot of technology development within the, 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 the investing space. Some, something very exciting. So that has been my journey, all very exciting and none really planned per se. I didn't really plan any, anything, so to speak. It was almost like got lucky breaks here and there. I had some people in my career who helped me a lot. You know, I had a manager in, in called Michael Scrum. He was, was a Danish guy and was a really fantastic guy who, who guided me early in my career. I had other guys who popped in to help me here and there. And I think any piece of advice you can get from people who have been there before, it's, it's usually worth a lot if, if you actually just follow it. Or people who have been there, so for those who are in, in working or even in business, I mean, having mentors is, is, a, is a great thing because really, I, I would be honest, I never planned anything, but I just have followed passion, have a desire to change stuff. So I'm a change agent, so I don't fear going to new, new territories. And I'm sure most of um, you don't because I have seen what my team actually challenges us on we management. Really, that's the whole spirit. Uh, and that's what I, that's, that's the part that's taken me. Yeah. Thank you. Listening to a lot of the kind of stories people tell, uh, there's always someone maybe listened or lent an ear in terms of giving advice. You can share a little bit one of the kindest things that have done to you career-wise you know, to open a door or an opportunity for you? Yeah, so I have two. One was in KPMG. I had, I had one manager. I know it's, it's, we used to call him KK, Scott Carroll. And the interesting thing is also he, he was an engineer as in he had studied engineering and then joined audit. So I always looked up to him. I asked him, okay, how are you coping? How did you get to understand all this uh, lingo in finance and everything? So particularly, I, I think I, I, I would single him out. And actually he's the first person also who gave me a sense of that 
you know, you can actually work anywhere in this group. There's no magic. If you see something, apply. If they call you for an interview, appear. Be the best you can. And even if you don't make it, the next time you are sharper, you at least know what the questions are. You can understand them a little bit more so that you get to get to, get to the other one. So, so, so he particularly was, was uh, crucial for me in my early career. And then Michael Scrum, as I mentioned, um, he was a Danish guy, very cool guy. He, he studied uh, master's in uh, economics. He was a very sharp guy in, in school, in school, London School of Economics. He was a CFA. I mean, he was actually a really sharp guy. And, and he was my boss boss when I was at HSBC. And one of the very critical moments is that when the financial crisis was just about, I can't remember exactly when it happened or it was just about, I, I had actually gotten an opportunity to, to go and work in, in Dubai at that point. And then I was finding it to be kind of an interesting opportunity. So, you know, I done everything you could possibly do and packed my bags and everything, put my resignation letter, and then I was all go, good to go. I mean, we had even found a place where we would go stay in Dubai. And uh, everybody was ready. Family was ready. All of us were ready. And then something out of the bruise happened and, and, and it would not happen, you know, for one or two reasons, which later we understood was some sort of a, a goof between the, the government of Kenya and that of, of the UAE at that point that I got caught up in that fiasco. And, and, and it was very interesting that, okay, now you don't have a job, Paul, and you packed your bag, you decide everything, and <laughs> so what happens to you? And I remember Michael calling me up and saying, hey, Paul, I got something for you to do. I think, and it was over, you know, a drink, I say something like, I know what has happened, stuff for you, but let's see. And that's when he opened me the door towards the investment space and, and really got into a team of very intelligent guys who make money. And all they do dream every, every day is actually making money. They look at the financial market in the palm of their hands. And they're, they're just so experienced in that. And really got a glimpse of, wow, actually this is how the world runs when it comes to financial markets. And spent two years with that team. I mean, I was different. After that, I, was, I knew I needed to do wealth management. And I, I needed to make money for clients. Every day I needed to wake up and say, what can I do to make somebody wealthier than they are today? Because it was very clear that actually, in this world, if you understand a few things about how money works, you can actually make money. There's enough opportunities lying around. And you don't have to be wealthy. You just need to open your eyes and act. Every single time, act. So when the financial market goes down, uh, like it did last year in uh, March, instead of you running away, you just, even if you have uh, 100 shillings, you get it. If you have 1,000, you get in. If you can find another 1,000, get in. Because it's so interesting. The markets will recover and you make money. And that's how people have made money in there. Whenever there is a crisis, people make money. When others are running away, others are actually uh, making money. So I think those two people are very critical to how my career has, has developed and how I've been built as a person. So, yeah. Great stuff. And I think that's a good secret to you about the wealthy management space in East Africa, who are the key players then, who are the, the competitors to you? Uh, I know you're not supposed to speak about the competitors, but just give us a little picture of who are the key players in the markets and, and the kind of clients that you're dealing with, the size of the portfolios and minimum amounts required to start off on investments on some of the products that you deal with. Okay. So, so thank you very much. So yeah, I, I think start, start early because time is the biggest contributor in the compound interest equation. It's the power. T is the power. So time is the power. And it doesn't matter how much you start. As long as you start early, you'll make money. So 
In terms of the local market, I will start in Kenya. So, so Kenya, the, the way the industry is, is formed is uh, two ways. So there's obviously the corporate side of investing. So you find the insurance companies, pension funds and investment houses and banks they, they, they're in that space. Then there's the individual space. And I, and I want to dwell with the individual space because that's where all of you would be interested in. So in the individual space, we, we, we go in Standard Chartered, we go through a company called Standard Chartered Investment Companies Limited, regulated by CMA, Capital Markets Authority. Of all the companies that are regulated in that space, uh, we have a number. So we have CIC, we have Britam, we have Sunlam Investments, you know, we have Old Mutual and a couple of others. In, in that space, we run the biggest book and we don't apologize for it. Last year, we touched 129 billion shillings of investor money. We like calling it over a billion dollars because when you manage a billion dollars of money anywhere in this world, regardless whether it's Kenya, China, is New York or London, you are like formidable force. People recognize a billion dollar worth of AUM. So we got that. So that's something we really are humbled and we'll, we are continuing to build on that. I mean, I don't want to talk much about the competition, but we, we also have a couple of other guys who are, who are doing a good job as well. And, and really as an industry, we, we are keen to ensure that we have as many people helping people grow their wealth and as many people helping people protect that wealth. So it is no need of one person being there and nobody else is there. So we, we need to have enough players in the market so that we also develop the market and we become competitive and we offer better products continuously for our clients. In terms of how to get us, so with $100 of monthly uh, investment, you can buy uh, into a mutual funds offering. And our mutual fund offering basically is, is unit trust. If you know unit trust, a mutual fund is the name they generally use, but unit trust is the exact same thing. And essentially what this means is that you put your money collectively with other investors who have the same belief as you. So if you are investing in technology, then you are investing with other global investors. It could be in, in Europe, it could be in the US, it could be China, it could be anywhere, other African countries as well, who are like-minded and they want to invest in technology. So then you invest there. You could decide you want to invest in maybe sustainability and we have also investment in clean energy, in water, in those kinds of investment. You may be interested to invest in bonds or even finance companies and insurance, oil and gas commodities. Again, that's available. And it's packaged in a way that it is actively managed by professionals. And, and those two words are very important. Actively managed and by professionals, okay? Uh, and that the investors are like minds and the entry is very small you're investing $100 a month. If you want to put a lump sum, it's $1,000. It's about 110,000 shillings. You can also access us through the government bonds offering. So as you know, ladies and gentlemen, our governments are borrowing money from us as citizens so that they can build us road, airports, rails, airport, water systems, you are, and all that kind of thing. And it's good and it's important. Actually, the U.S. economy in the 1900s, 1800s, 1900s, was built actually by the citizens. So they're the ones who build the railroad and all that, and they build all the other things. Because they bought into the bonds, the bonds give them coupons every uh, six months. And therefore, they were able to enjoy not only the, the infrastructure that has been built, but also enjoy the money coming. So similarly, the government of Kenya is doing that. And I'm sure other governments across Africa are also doing the same. And uh, really, this is actually the best thing you can do for your country, honestly. And I leave, for, leave politics aside, because I always say, you know, Investing has nothing to do with politics. It's pure math. It's pure making money. And as long as you are doing that in an organized way, in a legitimate way, I mean, make the money. Today, an infrastructure board issued by government of Kenya 
who pay you a rate of about 10 uh, and some up to 13% to build a road that you would actually use yourself and your family and your people. What's the problem about that? Just buy it. So with 100,000 shillings, 100,000 shillings only, you can actually get your, yourself a piece of the, the investment the government is rolling out. And, and politics aside, I'm, I'm very serious about that. Just look at the mathematics there and just make Some of the bonds are free, uh, totally tax-free, like the infrastructure bonds, you don't pay any withholding tax on them. So I generally advise clients to look at those because anything you can save uh, in terms of tax, then that's a benefit to you in terms of return and that can compound over time. Obviously, there is a unit trust in Kenya. We, are, at the moment, are actually developing a product which will launch Tashwood in another 60 days max, I think. If one of my colleagues in this team knows you're working on it, then pressure is up. But really, we are gonna, we're developing a very cool product. It's going to be on our mobile app. It's going to be 100% digital. Click of button, few clicks, and you'll be able to buy into local unit trust with as low as a thousand shillings, a thousand Kenya shillings. So we are developing that product so that we make wealth management accessible to basically all, all our clients. Now, before I hand the mic back to you, Eric, I want to talk about protection. And really, this is a very humble appeal because we've seen what COVID has done across the world. It has dev devastated communities. And really, if you didn't have some sort of protection and you got, you know, into a nice new bed for even one week, Trust me, any wealth you had created would be wiped off just because of hospital bills. And really, what we are actually asking our clients is, you know, get some life insurance cover. Ensure that what you get has a, a critical illness a component inbuilt there, which we do. Like all our policies, life insurance policies, we, we offer our clients, we make sure that they have critical cover. And then we offer that as a rider, as an, as an extra, as an add-on. Because we say, what's the point of giving a protection and you can't cover the most critical thing that's client can go through. So buy yourself some form of cover. It's important. It may look like you, it's money you're spending going away. But remember, most of the life insurance that are sold in this market will give you the return back to give you back your money in, you know, from about four years through to about 16 years, give or take. So at the end of the day, okay, fine. You, God blesses you. And, and so we pray that you don't, you know, get anything that will get you into the critical path. But at least you'll be given your money back after that time. So what's the problem, right? So it's very important to actually think critically about uh, protecting your life because, you know, COVID has just brought into our fore how important it is and how fragile we are, actually. So it's, it's important to take a, a piece of that. And we offer that as well. So, you know, life insurance cover, we do offer that. And usually you find a cover that you can pay as low as 3,000 shillings a month, give or take there. And as high, of course, as you can guess where. But the, our covers are starts from as low as that. You can, you can get as low as a cover that you pay 3,000 uh, shillings per month and it will cover you a couple of millions of, of, of shillings. And you can also go up to a point where you're being covered for about a million dollars. That's about 100 million. So the range is as wide as, as you can want to, to pick it. What are the challenges that you found, especially with people that hold them back from investing? And how do you overcome that initial uh, re resistance towards investing? Yeah, I think three things, and I guess maybe in the order of reporter, but the first one is delaying the decision. Uh, I find people say, okay, I'll do it. Let me go and think about it. And, and you know, fair enough, and it's good to go think about something so that you, you understand what you're getting up, uh, up to. But that delay 
biggest delay. And, and before you know it, it goes to the back of the mind. And only after maybe a couple of years, you get into a session like today and like, oh, man, I, sh I remember having listened to somebody two years ago and has said this. And I sh if I had got into the market then, or if I had invested there, look now, I would have. And that's for me is the biggest one delaying the decision to invest. And really, if you do not start saving and investing, you would, you would have to work until you die. It's as simple as that. You would have to work until the last day. Because if, if you spend everything you get, then that means you work until the last day, of, of course, right? And really, the, the situation has changed, especially for Africa, where our parents' generation took care of their parents. As we kind of 50-50, you know, you... Take care of your parents, um, but if you you get your aunties and your uncles asking you like, huh, come on, take care of yourself, right? The, our earlier generation took care of everybody who was the age of their parents, whether they were extended family or that. Us at least is very clear is our parents, and maybe those who who feel good sometimes who extend a little bit to the aunties and uncles and maybe grandparents. But I'm telling you, if you think that your kids will take care of you, you're really mistaken. These guys you, you are bringing up, they don't care. They absolutely don't care. They will be far away. You will try to reach them. They will be like, hey, panga." Uh, that is Swahili. You didn't plan for your, for your life. The second thing is that thinking that you require a lot of money to start investing. And that, again, is a huge myth. As I have broken it down, you don't need a, a lot of money to start. As I mentioned, a thousand shillings is $10. $10 is a meal, is a few drinks on a cool afternoon, right? I mean, it's not even a, a full bottle of wine, honestly, if you get one to be cheap wine, right? $10, put it aside every month. One, one decide one time, I will not take this $10. I will put it in an investment. And we are putting this on the palm of your hands, on your phone, you're carrying it everywhere. So when you're just about to order it, you're like, let me first of all put $10, the investment, blah. Then I can take $5 or something like that. The last one is not associating yourself with people who are thinking investing and associating yourself with people who are thinking spending. And I'm not saying you don't enjoy life. That's not what I'm saying. But it's the associations you create or associating yourself with people who are in the business of, how do I put it? They are, celeb let me say celebrities in the sense that it is their business. And that's what they get paid for. I mean, they get paid to be seen that they are out there spending and doing all, all good things. But associating yourself too much to that really gets you to forget that there's a core of what you really need to be doing. And that should be developing yourself, associating with people who are thinking about five years out, 10 years out, what can happen? Can I plan? Can I do this investment? Can I secure here? Can I buy a property? Uh, even if it's a small piece of land, whatever it is. Because if you associate with people of that like, you'll end up in the right place. Even if you, you didn't know the two other things I've mentioned earlier. And I enjoyed that. I, I joined a group of five guys who we, we decided us to set a target for ourselves in terms of how much money you put aside every month and would maintain some sort of Excel uh, spreadsheets and we would buy some property. Of course, not all deals were good, but in the balance of things, we made money. And the second thing is we got to learn because when we met every time, you had to come and present what you've learned about the, the opportunities available there, you know, in which market. And we tried our hands in equities. We tried our hands in the bond markets. We tried our hands in property. We tried ourselves hands in, in some businesses that failed, of course, as mentioned earlier. But the beauty of it is I, we, we learned, all of us learned. And 
trust me, all of the five of us are successful in, in our own right. So I think those three things, I'm sure there are other many others, like fearing to get into the market, selling when the market goes down and all those. But I think those can be taken care of maybe in another session or when we actually get into the strict class or the discussion around investing. But really failing to start, thinking that you need a role manager, sadly not associating yourself with people who are helping you to think of the future. Those are things are the key impediments or the key pitfalls in the wealth management space that I find. Yeah, so they are fund managers and, and, and when I was discussing about mutual funds, I said actively managed and, and I said, and I like the word actively managed. And that is the, the big deviation between an actively, a fund manager and a broker. You see, a broker sells to you whatever you ask for or whatever they have on their shelf that day. And once you buy, bye-bye, see you, see you later, right? If you come again, they say, oh, you want to sell now? Okay, good. I'll sell it. Here's my commission, bye-bye, like that. So the discussion there or the interaction is very transactional in nature. It really doesn't care who you are, really. So to say, oh, really, is what I'm selling to you appropriate to you? Is it meeting your goals? What are you really looking to do? So that's a broker. A fund manager really gets to craft a management style and explains it to you so that you say, okay, I am a fund manager investing in technology companies, either, you know, small cap or big cap or large cap in this market called U.S. or maybe in U.S. and, and, and China or in Europe, whatever it is. So it's, it, they define their strategy. And therefore, when you read it or you explain that strategy, you say, hmm, I think I like that. I like to invest in Apple, uh, say large cap funds, so that Apple computers, Facebook, Microsoft, Amazon. Okay, I think that's a good one. So then you buy into it. And then they manage that portfolio so that if they feel, hmm, Facebook is not as a good one now. Let's buy into a little bit of, you know, Tencent or uh, Alibaba. So they add and they'll keep uh, changing the strategy, tweaking the strategy uh, to fit the circumstances on the ground. And that is the beauty of active management. And that's what we advocate for. So that's what we really look out for because we believe that when somebody really uh, turns into the portfolio, it, it will return a better outcome than if it's just less let to flow on its own. Of course. There's some school of thought that says, okay, just put the money in the S&P 500 index or NSC, a 20 share index in Nairobi or whatever index it is, and let it run. It's also a, an investment strategy. And actually, you can adopt it. It's, it's okay to do that. Actually, it's better than to not do. But obviously, once you start, you start saying, hmm, actually, why, why just go into a, an index? Why can't I, you know, look at a little bit more different uh, styles? But that comes later. But starting... You can start in well, honestly. Brokerage, unless you really understand the, the markets and you can be able to manage the portfolio on your own, then that way you can just go for broker. So you'll be very clear what you're buying and selling. But otherwise, uh, if you don't have that expertise or you don't work in the financial industry, then I would recommend that you actually look for an active manager. Who we actually are. We are an active manager, so you can come to us. Yeah, You're a fund manager. So you take people's money and manage that on their behalf by investing in products and also listening to them, where they want to invest, are they ESG conscious, and then are they investing in Africa, Europe, and all that. So that's what you do. Absolutely. The first step of any interaction with us is a very detailed investment profiling, which basically we speak with you. We understand who you are, what is your network, what do you have, what your constraints, do you have anything do you, you, that you don't want to invest in? What is your time horizon? Do you need cash flow now? Do you need it in the future? Do you need it in dollars? Do you need it in euros? Do you need it in shillings? All that conversation is hard. 
so that when we set, set out the journey to do the investing, then we, it's consistent with what your belief system is and what you are looking out for. And then on a regular basis, that's part of the reason why I do meet a lot of clients, as I mentioned earlier, is to actually review that of team do this a lot. We have investment advisor who on a day-to-day -day basis, they do at least five portfolio reviews per day. So they are meeting five clients just to look, go through their portfolios and say, okay, let's look at this one. We invested in Europe here. Maybe it's time to move it from Europe and to in the US. Maybe we are in tech. Let's get out of tech. Let's get into here. Like that, like that. So that's what we do on a, on a regular basis. Could you speak a little bit about maybe the fee structure uh, of some of the products generally? And maybe you could speak about products that you have beyond stocks and bonds. And finally, also speak about the risk return profile of the offshore funds that you have. So in terms of fees, so yes, we charge, we charge an upfront commission for the investment that we make. But then that comes with free custody. So we custody the investment for you. And custodying means is that we, because every investment has to be put somewhere. It has to be money somewhere. Otherwise, you can't, you know. Custody is ensuring that the, the investment is properly safeguarded. Let me put it that way. Safeguarders will offer you free custody service. That includes clearing all transactions, wherever you want they will be going. If they are going to China or the US, wherever they will be, we do all the clearing because we, we leverage on the bank. And all the dividends that may come as well are cleared to, to your account here in Kenya without any extra charge. So we charge an upfront commission, right? It, it is around two and a half percent of the, of the amount invested. So that's what we charge. We, we're going to be launching something in Kenya, as I mentioned, we'll, we'll look at the fees there. It may not be as high as that because, you know, in Kenya now, it's not as much work to clear the funds globally. So it's just within Kenya. So that yeah. fees there will be cheaper. And that's also applies for government bonds as well. And we also offer free custody and we'll do all the dividend. I mean, so the coupon come straight to your account and all that. In terms of the risk profile of our investment, we have some conservative investments globally. So now I'm talking about mutual funds. And usually you find these are mostly bonds investments. So it could be bonds in the US, bonds in, in Europe, UK, Germany, those kind of countries. We also have emerging markets as well. That's a slightly moderate. Uh, you find returns there in dollar terms from the range of about 5% for the conservative ones. You get about 8 to 10% on the moderate area. And if you start now getting into maybe the more aggressive strategies where you find less, less of bonds, but more of equities in, in more maybe the diversified investments, you start closing the 12% uh, range. Now, again, all this will do after we have uh, done an investment profiling for you. Now, I'll tell you something. If you're young, you have our appetite to see what is out there in the market and have an aggressive strategy. We have those aggressive strategies, like technology is an aggressive strategy, as I mentioned. The return there has been quite handsome, at least four years, anywhere from 20% and above. Last year was really good. Some funds were returning 80%. There's a fund that did, there's an artificial intelligence fund that did up above 100%. But I mean, look, these are aggressive strategies, so you have to have the appetite for it. We have also other aggressive strategies like in healthcare. Right now, we are seeing healthcare being a good investment because of all these companies, Pfizer, Moderna, all these guys is doing the vaccine and all that. So, you know, I can tell you why you think that there's money to be made in these areas, so you can actually make it as well. So again, those ones are their healthcare, biotech. Again, also, you know, it's the region of 30%. Again, it's an aggressive strategy. China is also there and most of Asia, aggressive strategy as well. You get as well good return from, from that space. We have introduce a, a few strategies around environment, clean energy and all that. Again, longer term strategy for it to bear full fruits. So you can't come in and think next year you'll get out. 
of course you can, I mean, you can't take interrogate, but I think it's good to think long term because it will take time for that to happen. But also you're finding some really nice uh, investment there. Again, the return is as good as the double digits uh, area. Uh, we've also introduced a 5G fund, artificial intelligence fund I mentioned. So again, also you have an aggressive strategy, but again, you get some handsome return. So again, the point here is that uh, return and risk are uh, brother and sister or two brothers or two sisters, whichever you like. Look, they, they never leave each other. It's like you and your shadow. So you cannot say, I want return, I don't want risk. So if you want a conservative strategy, yeah, it's cool. you get 5% and then you sleep. You don't have to worry about that. You probably get a consistent 5%. If you want an aggressive strategy, yeah, one year you get 20, the other year you get uh, 50, the other year you get zero, for some year you get negative. But if you average it out over a period of five years, you see actually you made some decent, uh, decent returns. But that's about it. So if you want a little bit more conversation around this, you can make a link up with us. We do an investment profile. And from there, we can be able to show you the fact sheets, the returns, the history and everything, all the details of this fund so that you can actually decide whether you want to get in or not. But for now, because it's a, it's a general forum, I cannot be able to share the specific uh, details of the funds. Otherwise, my regulator will be behind me, handcuff me and tell me, what, what are you doing? You're trying to sell to people when you haven't uh, known what is their risk uh, you know, investment profile. I think it's also part of the CFA. You, know, you have to sit down and know your client. I think that's generally what we find for the client, creating a client profile, Finding what is it, what it is their risk return profile is from conservative to aggressive and then investing accordingly, but also checking their age. If they're younger, you can have more aggressive portfolio. If you're older, then you have a more tilted towards fixed income and all. So I think that those are the kind of considerations if I remember correctly. Absolutely. You summarized it so well. I think that's exactly what uh, we should do. And if we do that well, you know, we'll do, we'll do great wealth management and clients will be happy. Matching their risk investment profile with the products in the market. And if we do that, they will be very happy and everybody will be happy, including our regulators will be very happy. A case in point is when uh, COVID hit last year, in March there, the market sold off by at least 20%. So meaning if you had a portfolio generally, it dipped by 20%. So you woke up your portfolio. If you had 100, it became 80 within a period of like a week. And the work we did there was to basically talk to clients and say, hey, stay put, stay put, don't, don't leave. If you have some money, come in the market now, buy when it's cheap. I did that personally because I understood uh, from the previous crisis, 2009, 2010, I'd say, hey, I knew that, that one, I missed it a bit. Uh, just because I was also, as I mentioned, I was trying to transition in my job. So I missed the crisis there. And sorry, interestingly, we say missing the crisis, yeah, because uh, Warren Buffett never miss a crisis. So when the crisis happen, as they say, when the crowds gather and there's time to rain, don't go up out with a small cup, go with all the buckets and everything and take as much water as possible. So when a crisis happens, it's time to actually get into the market. Those people who understand investment actually know it and they do it all the time and they make a lot of money. But our job really is to calm the markets, calm the clients, ensure that they are not pulling out and their portfolios are looking red. They are staying there. If they, they can invest more, fantastic, because it's long term. You think long term. And the beauty of it is you look at the uh, indices, be it S&P 500 or anything, and you look at it over a period of 20 years, and you see all the crises, and you see how it dipped. Then immediately they picked double what it was before. Then it dipped. Then they picked double what it was before. So the issue of it is, I mean, history repeats itself, and we know that in the investing world. So absolutely. And the most important thing, Eric, and my listeners, 
is that if you have done a, a truthful investment profile and you've understood either you are a moderate investor, aggressive investor, or conservative, and you've stayed true to that investment philosophy, even if your portfolio dips by 50%, you will not be moved because you understand. And that's where we spend a lot of time in that space to make sure that you as an investor have understood your appetite for risk. Because once you understand that, then we are buckled up and we can press on the accelerator and go. And when we have to put an emergency brake, then you also don't freak out. <laughs> we still move on. You say, okay, then we move on. So if we encounter some bumps or roadblocks or whatever it is on the road, you don't cancel the journey. You still keep going. So that's the way to do it. It's what we do. That's our core of what we believe. And we think if we continue doing that and most of our other interest, uh, industry players also do it that way, we'll get a fantastic investing community in the country. So let's talk a little bit about the opportunities for people to actually apply. I should say that a couple of times in the past, I've applied to join Stan Chartered. I've been rejected twice. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. So a very good question because, you know, creating wealth is also getting employment income. That's also a way of creating wealth. So, yeah. So Stan Chartered offers employment opportunities and we have a graduate uh, program. So every year we... We go through a program and it's on our website. You would see a graduate recruitment program. It's actually really a competitive program, but every year we bring in about 20 or so. In fact, today, today I met one individual. I was in our office building today and I met somebody walked to me and said, Hey, I, Paul, I'm so-and-so. I joined last year at the graduate program. I know we haven't met because of COVID. I say, oh, interesting. So the bank still continued uh, with the program even during the COVID. Now, in terms of trying and, and maybe not getting through, I have a colleague who, who tried twice and the third time she got in. So, and she works in my team. So that's an interesting story of, she actually kept trying and that time she managed to get through. But also the other thing is that, and, and I also, even in my career, I tried many uh, graduate programs. I tried, you know, BAT, I tried Unilever and I was rejected. I even some of them at the very highest interview level and I thought, oh my God, I'm going to get it. And I still didn't get it. But that doesn't make you stop. You know, the fact that you're trying and you keep trying, that's the way life is. You, you have to keep, you have to keep up there. You have to keep trying. And when you get, you get, you don't get through, at least you've learned some lessons. You go brush up and you go for the next one. And then if you don't get instantiated, at least maybe another one you get. The beauty of, of the graduate program is that it gives you global career moves. I have a gentleman who works in Hong Kong. He started off in my team, works in Hong Kong, and he's in the digital innovation, digital bank innovation team in Hong Kong. So he's developing the cutting edge of banking. So it's so very, very interesting. And also there's a lady who've gone to Europe. She worked in, in, in my team for a period of time and then went to Europe. So... The beauty of it is that actually there's another one who went to UK, I remember now. The beauty of it is when you get Stanchat, whether you get in Kenya or in another country, is simply is you basically become a global employee. So you can basically work. And the mobility is really good, uh, especially for young people. So try it out. Go to the, our website, check under recruit careers. You'll see graduate recruitment program. You'll see the details of how to apply. Do not tire. It's very competitive, I must say. So you're competing against so many people. And sometimes life is like that, you know, it's competitive anyway. So um, brave up for it and, and see what comes out. And maybe a quick one would be a mortgage or taking a loan to build a house. If you have an opportunity to take a mortgage, please take it very early. That was one of the best decisions I took in uh, 2009 or 8, I can't remember. But I took a mortgage when I was already working abroad and I, and the economics of a mortgage are very simple and, and the way I understand it. So you... 
get into a mortgage because you can't afford to raise up the money. Say the house costs three million, five million. That's what it costs today. You can't raise five, four, five million today. If you start out saving that five million, it takes you give or take five years. By the time you go to look at that same house, it is ten million. So what did you do? I mean, you saved five years and then you ended up with five million only to find that the house itself that you needed was has moved from five million to ten million. So. But that's where the bank comes in and really offers you the opportunity to get to the mortgage there so that you buy the house at five million and then you pay the loan. The beauty of the thing the loan is that you start with a loan of five million, but you pay it down. So over the five years, you are paying down the loan as opposed to saving up to get the house that is more expensive than when you saw it first. So when you have an opportunity, please take a mortgage. The beauty, again, okay, this is my life experience as well, is that at that point, I took a mortgage probably with the most expensive bank at that point because I probably didn't have as much choice, okay? But the good thing is that once I got it and I had some good credit now history, then I was able to move my mortgage to a better rate, to another bank, and then to a bad bank. So over time, you get to know this thing, but you have to start. So if you're staying in a rented house, check how much it's costing you to pay rent every month and think well, like that, that amount of rent can be converted into a mortgage. Shop around. You don't have to be exactly where you live. You can move slightly away from town. It's okay. I mean, the road networks are being done now. It's becoming better. We are working from, from home, most of us anyway. So you may as well live a little bit out of town. It's probably greener and better. So yeah, yeah. consider those decisions are actually really good world management decisions to get a mortgage early, early in life. Thank you. Final question for me. What percentage of your portfolio is crypto? In terms of hard, hard cryptocurrency, we don't have a portfolio in crypto. What do we tell our clients if they want to buy crypto? We say, well, you can buy crypto, that's fine, but don't make it more than 5% of your networks because it is in that category of assets where it's a bit of uh, speculation. So in a speculative, do not buy more than 5% of your networks. Okay. In terms of what we do to ensure that we get exposure into the cryptocurrency space or the crypto uh, or digital currency space. Now, we like the technology behind uh, crypto, that's blockchain and artificial intelligence. So, uh, and actually in the bank, we are already employing blockchain in our trade business. So, so in that case, we, we do that. But in investments, we have specific funds, like the artificial intelligence fund, that invest in companies that are exposed directly to the blockchain and artificial intelligence. And as mentioned last year, you know, that fund made a lot of money. It was over 100% growth. And it has returned well over, over the period. It's a, an aggressive strategy, obviously. It's a better one than buying the, the currency itself because this is well-managed. It is investing into the technology and not necessarily the currency. And I hope you can understand that. And I'll tell you, one of the biggest beneficiaries of this technology is actually semiconductor companies. So one of the things you find when you, you drill deeper into those funds, that one and the 5G and another one called Smart Cities, is you find they have a number of companies that are manufacturing semiconductors. And you know right now we have a shortage of semiconductors in the, in the world. And these companies are building a lot of wealth because of the fact that the demand for semiconductors is, is, is high. We also introduced something around electric vehicles. So we are also liking that strategy. And again, it's, it is said that electric vehicles will, will be using, I don't know how many more times of semiconductors than the normal vehicles. So as such, the semiconductor industry is getting a lot of demand. So you don't have to buy the currency itself. You can still get exposure into that industry by going through these funds, which looks at the technology that supports the currency. And that's a very important kind of way of looking at investment. You peel, you peel the top and you will get the real juice right underneath there.
Thank you, Paul, for that. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about Forex trading. There is a lot of people who are engaging in Forex trading. I'm not one of those who would recommend it. So I wanted to hear your comments and maybe to give you a closing words about Forex trading. Okay. So again, my views are similar to the ones on, on crypto. So if you're trading on, on Forex, just make sure it's not more than 5% of your net worth because uh, it's that volatile unless unless you, you really work in a, in a trading uh, desk of our own organization so you understand the market. So if you're just doing it just so that you, you learn, don't go there with all your money. Do take 5% and then that's fine. So that even if it goes south, it's 5%. So you can always recover on that. But at the end of the day, it's, it's better to do something about financial markets uh, because even if you're not going to make the money, say for example, on the Forex or crypto or any other investment, you get the lessons. There is no investor who I've ever met who said, all my life I made only gains and I've never made any losses in any investing. Part of that is, part of investing is making losses here and there because by so doing, then you, you really learn. And it's important when you can get those lessons much earlier. Right? But definitely, we are here to support you so that your mistakes are minimal. We are here to give you the advice. We have a team of experts, investment advisors, specialists, treasury, uh, specialists on the currencies who can give you some guidance. We also publish a report every week on our website and the market views on the go. You can get a few tips in terms of, and actually we give a view on currency as well, so that even as you trade, you don't go brightly. At least you have some bit of a sense of where the market direction is. Thank you very much, Eric, for having me. Thank you, David, for organizing this. I think I wish everyone the very best. Stay safe and stay, stay healthy. And I look forward to having another session in the near future. Yeah, definitely. I think if uh, to recap uh, the key things for me, that turned out is mostly start, at least start now, start investing and just make the mistakes. It's okay to lose money here and there, but uh, think, reflect and learn and move on. Don't delay the decision to invest and don't wait to have a lot of money to start investing. I think you can set aside every month to say a thousand shillings and try to put it aside into investing and let it compound at the end of the day. So if you have any questions, forward them to us. We'll have Paul again soon and David has assured me that we'll get more speakers from Sanjant uh, soon again. So uh, maybe one more thing is, Paul, how do people get in touch with your team? Okay. You can find, if you go to our website, you can easily book, a, book an appointment. If you go to the investment space page, you see somewhere you can actually book an appointment to speak to one of our advisors. It's usually a video call, so we can do an easy video call. That's number one. Obviously, you can, my, my contacts, are, I think, are the public domain for sure. But again, Eric, I can drop you my contact. You already have my contact. You feel free to share it with your audience so people can be able to reach me. Of course, my Twitter handle, Paul uh, underscore M underscore Njoki. Again, you can, you can get there and follow me. And of course, I'm also on LinkedIn and uh, I have a little bit of Instagram, but I rarely get there. But I'm definitely active on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you.